Welcome once more, everyone. Welcome to those of you in the overflow, those of you at the Franklin campus. God bless all of you. Open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's jump right in. In the middle of a sermon series entitled Ecclesia, it's a Greek word. It's a Greek word that means church. It means called out ones. That's technically what the word means, called out ones. We are the church. We are the people called out by God, transformed through Christ and possessed by the Holy Spirit to praise and glorify him forever. We've been talking about this now for several weeks. Also, don't forget God's great plan that we've, dis- uh, that we've discussed. God's great plan is to bring everything into perfect harmony through Christ. Everything into perfect harmony through Christ. And the church is an expression of that plan. Which is to say, in church, we should be seeing perfect harmony. I'm trusting you've been in church long enough to recognize that perfect harmony is hard to come by anywhere. And and sometimes, least of all, at church. And that is something we need to uh, address and talk about today. God wants us to be in unity and in harmony some of you are in workplaces, you have, you have jobs and you work at places where occasionally you'll do team building exercises. Are you familiar with that stuff? They'll sometimes take you out for a whole day, your whole team, your whole office, take you out for, for team building exercises and, and, and workshops. How do those typically go? It's kind of awkward, isn't it? Because for the whole day of team building, it doesn't really work. And, and you don't have to necessarily tell your boss, I said so. But, but go ahead and tell him, I said so. That doesn't work. Uh, going out for a day and, and doing trust falls into one another's arms or maybe going whitewater rafting together. It might be nice to get out of the routine of, of work at the office for a day. But honestly, you don't build teams by focusing on building teams. And in the same way when it comes to unity, you don't get unity by focusing on unity. You do not get unity by focusing on unity. You get unity by focusing on something else. And that's what we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look and see where unity comes from for the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This letter is from Paul. Chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Sosthenes. I am writing to God's church. The word there is ecclesia. I'm writing to God's ecclesia in Corinth to you who have been called by God to be his own holy people. He made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Verse 4. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gift he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all your knowledge. And notice Paul always leads, always starts off by talking about what's good about the church he's writing to. So he's praising them now. All of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms that what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this, for he is faithful to do what he says, and he has invited you into partnership. The word is fellowship there. Invited you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now verse 10. 
I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. For some members of Chloe's household, Chloe's obviously a woman from Corinth with whom Paul's had contact. So listen, for some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels, my dear brothers and sisters. Some of you are saying, I'm a follower of Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos or I follow Peter or I follow only Christ. Has Christ been divided into factions? Was I, Paul, crucified for you? Were any of you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, for now no one can say they were baptized in my name. Oh yeah, I also baptized a household of Stephanus, but I don't remember baptizing anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the good news. And not with clever speech, but for fear that the cross of Christ would lose its power. Let's stop right there. Sometimes when we look at, at Scripture, at the New Testament, we, we look at the early church and we imagine that the early church was, was somehow ideal and, and different from the kind of churches that we see today. I want you to understand that, that, that Corinth is a real church, as real as it gets. Now understand a few things. Uh, when Paul says, I'm writing to God's ecclesia, God's church in Corinth, understand something. We think we've got something good with Franklin where we're one church in multiple locations. There's nothing new about that. Do you understand that? We didn't invent anything. Corinth is one church in multiple locations. This is the early, earliest church. And in those days, understand, you didn't get a building committee and build a building somewhere. That's not what the church did. The church is people. It's always been people. And the church at Corinth was people. But as it turns out, it was people who met in multiple locations. There are probably several, a number of house churches, people who have a congregation, a group of other Christians that meet in their house. This is what the church in Corinth is. It's honestly a number of house churches. It's one church, one ecclesia in multiple locations, different houses where people meet. So get that in your head. Paul's not writing to, to one location sitting in a building like you're sitting in this morning that wasn't Corinth this is one church in multiple locations and honestly this is one messed up church this is a very messed up church uh, imagine that that you lived in Corinth let's say you're a woman and your name is Mary okay Mary gets up one Sunday and she decides to go to church and she goes to one of the house churches that that, that is in Corinth one of these house churches and I promise you, if you were Mary or if you were with Mary on any given Sunday back in the day, you would have been impressed at first. When you walked into the church at Corinth, one of the house churches at Corinth, you would have loved it at first. Because I'm telling you, when you walk in, these people make a good first impression. When you walk into worship at Corinth, these people know how to worship. These people light it up every single time they worship. They have spiritual gifts. They have more teachers and preachers than you can possibly shake a stick at. And I'm telling you, when you come to worship at Corinth, it's exciting. 
always exciting. These people know how to worship, and they're friendly. They're really, really outgoing. When Mary would walk into Corinth on a Sunday morning, she's going to be greeted, and she's going to meet a lot of people because the people at Corinth are just like that. They're outgoing. They're friendly. They would love to bring her right on in. And I'm telling you, on the first Sunday, you're going to love it there. If her name's Mary and she's at Corinth on a Sunday, she's going to open up the bulletin that particular Sunday and look through the announcements, and she's going to see that they're having a baby shower for a boy and his girl. And she's going to think, my goodness, that's wonderful. Uh, They're going to have a a baby shower. It's so wonderful how the church takes care of people. Do you understand? They're going to have a shower for a young couple. That's That's just beautiful. And then she gets to the end of the service and there's a potluck. I mean, every single time they get together, they eat. Now, you can't beat that. They must have been Baptists. That's wonderful. They eat every time they get together. I'm telling you, the first Sunday, you're going to love Corinth. Mary would have loved Corinth and she'd love it so much, she'd keep coming back. She'd just keep coming back. But, But the more she comes, the more she learns. And the more she learns you got to understand, that bubble's going to burst. They always do. That, that bubble's going to burst. She's going to figure out real quickly that even though the church is very, very friendly, after going there for weeks and weeks, she probably won't have a lot of friends. You understand? It's the one thing to be friendly. It's another thing to find friends. And the more she hangs around Corinth, the more she understands that these people are divided and split up and they're arguing and so many conflicts. The church is just a mess, a nest of conflict. And that really begins to turn her off. The the bubble bursts. It, It always does. And that couple that they were having the shower for, come to find out that boy is married to his own stepmother. Gross. I'm not making that up. It's in the scripture. Do you understand? There's a young man who was getting married to his own stepmother. And apparently the church thought that was okay. Everybody was okay with that. They're throwing him a shower. Everybody's okay. And Mary's not okay with that. One Sunday she's running a little bit late and she comes in and she realizes that they're having the meal. But they just go ahead and eat without her. They just eat without her. It's everybody for himself, everybody for herself. This is how it is with Corinth. You understand? At first there's a good impression, but, but then the bubble bursts. And you realize that uh, it's not what you were hoping for. But does that sound familiar? Because honestly, most any of us who've ever visited a church or ever come to a church, including Woodburn Baptist, The first impression is usually very different from the second, third, fourth, fifth, or the impression you'll have after you've been been around for a while. The bubble always bursts. It always bursts. In our minds, we have this ideal of of what the church should be like. And honestly, I carry the same ideal. I I love the church. Jesus died for the church. And and my heart, my whole heart is given over to Christ and his church. I, I love the church. But honestly, the church is very, very often not what I was hoping it would be. As a pastor talking to people who come into church and then leave church, often when people drop out of church, they tell me the same thing. They say, well, Brother Tim, you know, I, I was in there for a while, but, but I guess you'd say now I'm, I'm disillusioned. I'm a little bit disillusioned. How many of you have been disillusioned? 
the, the bubble bursts. It, it just always does. And I want to tell you something you don't expect me to tell you. But at that moment when the bubble bursts for you, at that moment when you become a little bit disillusioned with the church, I say that might be a good thing. That might be a good thing. Now now listen to me. I'm saying you've got this ideal, this picture in your mind of how the church is supposed to be. And it's probably a rather rosy picture, a a rather glowing picture of, of perfection. A church where everybody knows your name and a church where everybody loves you. And and it's like you're always with a a group of your very best friends. That's probably what you're thinking. A church where if, if you miss, everybody misses you and they'll show up on Monday morning with a casserole and a card. I mean, you want that kind of church. You want a church where every single Sunday they're singing your favorite song, but not too many verses, and then you don't have to stand up very much unless you like to stand up, and then you get to stand up. You see, we all have this ideal picture of what the church should be, and we love that picture. We love that ideal dream of what the church should be for us. We're in love with that dream of the church. But sooner or later, that dream, that bubble's going to burst. Sooner or later, you're going to become disillusioned. Now think about that word, disillusioned. It means to be left without illusion. Maybe your dream of the church as it should be is an illusion. And maybe you need to become disillusioned. Maybe you need to let go of your picture of the perfect church because the sooner you let that go, the the sooner that bubble bursts for you, the sooner you let go of your dream of the perfect church, the sooner you can get on with the business of loving the church as it is. Are you listening to me? The the sooner you turn loose of your dream of, of the church as you wish it were, the sooner you can get on with the business of loving the church as it is. In in Scripture, God is always, always concerned with the church as it is. Now, God is also completely committed to his vision, his dream of what the church is going to become, his spotless and perfect bride. But we ain't spotless and perfect today. That's not what we are today. We are the church as it is. And as it is, we are not without spot or, or blemish. We are human beings. Corinth was a church with a lot of good things going for it. It's also a very messed up church, but it was a church that God was completely committed to, that Paul himself was never going to give up on. It was that kind of church, just as real as it gets, as real as it gets. Paul says when it comes to the church, you've got to have unity. You've got to have perfect harmony. Let there be no divisions. And honestly, when it comes to church for most of us, our disillusionment comes from, from that division. That sense that in church where we preach the gospel of Jesus, in church where we talk about loving each other and forgiving one another, somehow love and forgiveness don't always come in deep quantities in the church. Somehow church people can get so angry and so mad. We can have our feelings hurt so deeply and we can become so disappointed and so bitter and we drop out so far. And Paul says you can't have anything like that. Do you remember I told you that God's master plan is to bring everything into perfect harmony. 
And the church is the place, the headquarters, the church is where you see God's plan beginning to, to unfold in the world. So if God's plan is to have perfect harmony in everything and, and everywhere through Christ, then certainly you should expect harmony in the church. So how do we get it? How do you get unity? How do you get oneness, one mind, one purpose? I should know what you're thinking, according to Paul. How do you get that? Well, I promise you, you don't get unity by focusing on unity. You won't. It'll never happen that way. In the same way that the people at Corinth have division, they're not trying to be divided. Do you see that? Nobody sets the alarm and gets up early in the morning to try to figure out how to split the church. Nobody's doing that, and yet this church is splitting. Now, nobody puts it on their to-do list. Today, I I would really like to blow this church wide open. Nobody's doing that, and yet division is what they're getting. They're getting division, and yet they're not trying to get division. So let me say this. Division is what you get, not when you focus on division, but division is what you get when we focus on ourselves. When we focus on ourselves, we're going to get division. Notice how it happens at Corinth. They just start sort of dividing up, and it's interesting. How do they identify themselves? How do they divide up? They divide up by their favorite preacher, their favorite teacher. And this becomes real conflict, real division. Some people say, well, I like Paul. I I follow Paul. Paul is my preacher. He's my teacher. Somebody else says, "I, I, I can't give you two hoots for Paul. Paul can't preach his way out of a wet paper bag. Personally, I like Apollos. I I like Peter, somebody else says. They're arguing over who's the best teacher. They begin to argue over crazy things. It's division. But it's not that they're focused on dividing. They're not trying to divide. It's simply that they focus on themselves. Division is what you get in a church when people focus on themselves. Because when we focus on ourselves, we're going to see differences. And we're very different. The the great thing about Woodburn Baptist Church is that we have a very diverse congregation. Back in the, back 20 years ago when Casey and I left and and went to Louisville and I went to seminary there. Honestly, I loved Woodburn Baptist Church then and Woodburn had been my home since I was a teenager. And when we went to Louisville, my intention was to find a church just like Woodburn. Do you understand there are no churches in Woodburn, in Louisville, just like Woodburn? Not at all. I would go into gigantic churches, big churches, and I would just long to find a class, anything that felt like Woodburn, and I couldn't. The thing is, in our church, there's a lot of diversity. At Woodburn Baptist Church, if you hang around very long, you are going to have friends. But you're going to have friends that are, that are senior adults. And you're going to have friends that are younger. This is just a church. We've got this wild hair. We really believe that, that, that we can love each other. It's a church with kind of a, a wild kind of fellowship. We've got people very, very different from one another. We got people from Simpson County and Warren County and surrounding counties all coming to the same church. We've got older people and younger people. Do you understand? Church growth experts say that the first thing you got to do in growing a church is figure out what audience you're trying to reach. In other words, they believe that the only way to grow a church is through sameness. 
you try to get people to come and you get the same group of people because sameness attracts sameness. So the church will grow if you target young couples, and everybody targets young couples, you see. Well, see, it's too late for us to target anybody. We've been around for 147 years. We're already a congregation. We're already united as we are. I love it, but we're different. We got dog people and cat people in the same congregation. I don't understand cat people. I just don't. I'm praying you get saved and go get a dog. I mean, my goodness, cats are, cats are creepy. You understand? Witches have cats. Don't you ever pay attention? I'm a dog person. Cat people and dog people. We're as different as we can be. We have people who love contemporary worship and praise courses and people who love the hymnal. I happen to love it all, but we're different. We're different. But notice something in the New Testament. Every time the Scripture talks about unity in the body of Christ, it will always emphasize the unity with the differences. The primary metaphor for the church in talking about unity is that we're a body. And the whole point is, we're all different parts with different functions that look different and behave differently. And we don't always see everything the same. But that's the beauty of it. It's the beauty of it. We're different. And we're supposed to be different. If you and I were exactly alike, one of us would be unnecessary. Do you understand? When God looked down in the Garden of Eden and he saw Adam there alone and he said, it's not good that Adam is alone. I'm going to make somebody perfect to be a partner for him. God turned around and made a creature so different. Y'all know about men and women? God made a creature, the woman, so different from Adam. For the rest of human history, these two are never going to understand each other. And God said, that's good. That is so good. It's what God wanted. It's what God loves. God loves that kind of difference. When two people can complete and complement one another, that's what God loves. Not sameness. Unity is not sameness. We're different. And God makes us different. And God brings us together. And I know it cracks God up when he sees some of you on the same pew with each other. God loves that. Unity is not sameness. But if we focus on ourselves, we're going to see difference. Focusing on ourselves, we're going to get division. It's hard to be with people who are different. A woman named Leanne one day who was at work. And then she remembered that she had made an appointment at the church for her family to get family portraits made for the new church directory. But she hadn't told anybody. So she called her husband and said, honey, listen, we've got an appointment at the church right after work today, 4.30. We've got to be there, and we've all got to be in our clothes ready for family portraits. Honey, can you help me out? He said, yes, I'll be home. I'll get the kids ready. Leanne had to work right up to the very last moment. She rushed home. She flew in the door. She flew into her bedroom. She freshened up her face. She threw on different clothes. She ran a breast through her hair, and then she went into the hallway. At the same time, her 16-year-old son walked out of his bedroom. This is the 16-year-old son that she'd been telling for weeks to get a haircut. She'd been telling him to get a haircut. She's begging him to get a haircut. She had given him money for a haircut. 
And as it turned out, this is the day he decided to get a haircut. Blue spikes. Spikes. Blue. Leanne walked out and saw her son and blew a gasket. She blew a gasket. The boy looked at his mom and he was sort of embarrassed. He said, Mom, I got blue hair. And she went nuts on him. She said, I can't believe you would do this to me today. Hundreds of families in our church, and i got to have the son who's going to get his picture made and look like a freak. I don't want to be in a picture with you. I don't even want to be seen with you. And on and on she went. And her husband came up and said, Leanne, would you step in the bedroom with me for a minute? He kind of pulled her aside, got her away from the son, and said, honey, listen to me. He's a good boy. He loves to go to church. He loves the Lord. And he says one day he might even want to be a minister. He makes good grades. And he's got blue spikes now. Honey, those blue spikes will be gone really soon. They won't last forever. But what you're saying to him right now will stay with him a long, long time. He's our son. The spikes don't matter. He matters. It's, it's called grace, but when Paul writes his letter to the Corinthians, it's grace that he talks about. It's one of the first things he thanks God for. It's grace. His, his greeting to them is, is, may you have grace and peace. It's grace. And grace is something we all really appreciate when it's flowing toward us, but it's something we're not very good at showing to other people. It's called grace. You may look down the pew and see somebody with blue spikes. Don't you understand? The spikes won't matter. It'll never matter. You may look down the pew there and you may see somebody who's dressed differently from you. And you're thinking, my goodness, I would never wear that to church. Well, God bless you, but that person's worn it to church. So show them grace. Clothes don't matter, but people matter. And in the body of Christ, if we focus only on ourselves, we're going to see differences and we're going to begin to divide. Because when you focus on yourself, all you'll see is how everybody else is different from you. So understand, the people at Corinth, they didn't wake up that morning and decide to try to split the church. That's just what you get. Division is what you get when you focus on yourselves. And I've already told you, unity is what you get, not when you focus on unity. Honestly, you're never going to take the people at Corinth aside and lead them through a workshop. You're not going to take them all whitewater rafting and somehow make them enjoy unity. I promise you, you wouldn't be able to do four-by-four dinner groups, which is what we try here. But you understand, four-by-four dinner groups aren't going to establish unity either. You can't get unity by focusing on unity. You only get unity when you focus on something else. And just what do you think that would be? Christ. We get unity When we focus on Christ, what does the scripture say? It says Christ has called us into fellowship, into partnership with himself. Our fellowship is in Christ. It's the only way to explain it. Our friendship, our fellowship is not based on the fact that we're we're the same kind of people. Because we're not. 
We're really, really not. We've got different generations in this church. Praise God, we've got different generations. That's a sign of life. We've got different races in our church. We've got different races on our staff, Pastor Eric. Praise God. That's a sign of life. It's not about all being the same. Do you understand that? Unity's not sameness. You can't explain our unity. We're one church spread out now across two counties. We're not even in the same building. Do you understand? The unity doesn't come from being in the same building or not even in the same worship service. Some of you say, my goodness, I don't even know the people that go to the 11 o'clock service. I don't even know the people at the Franklin campus. I don't even know the people at 830. Don't you understand? Our unity isn't even based on the fact that we know each other well. Our unity is only explained by one factor. We are all called to be in fellowship with Christ. My oneness is with Christ. And because I am one with Christ, because of his grace and because of his transforming power in my life and because of the fact that his Holy Spirit possesses my body, I'm one with Christ. And that simply means now I'm one with everybody else who's one in Christ. It's Christ. He is what makes us one. So listen to me. Our church grows. It all gets complicated. We get people walking in Woodburn that we never even imagined would walk into Woodburn in peace. Some of you sitting here today never imagined you'd be sitting here. I just love that. Honestly, take a look down your pew. You got some freaks on that pew, don't you? Some of them rode your car with you. I'm telling you, it's crazy. It's just crazy. And it's so exciting. This is the body of Christ. We don't all look the same. We don't think the same. We don't like the same things. But we live for Christ. We live for him. My fellowship is with him. So listen, even as we grow, and it seems to get complicated because the more people you add, that's more relationships to manage. Have you noticed? We're wearing name tags today. I don't have mine on. Forgive me. My name is Tim. Hello. Not wearing my name tag. A lot of you are. That's wonderful that we're wearing name tags because it becomes so difficult to know each other's names. All of these people to know and remember Last year, I had a lady walk in in April or May. I'm telling you, it was after Easter. A lady walked in, and I said, hi, I'm Tim Harris. Welcome to Woodburn. Is this your first time? She said, I would think not. You met me on Christmas Eve. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Okay, here's a lady I met one time on Christmas Eve. Y'all know that service is at midnight? In the dark. She thought I should remember her. I mean, God help me. I I wish I had remembered her. I I wish I could have. I can't. I just can't. I'll try. She never came back. God bless her. I I would have learned it eventually. Maybe by next Christmas. It's just hard. It's hard. And the more time we spend together, don't you understand? The more opportunities to mess up with each other. My goodness. I don't always say things that please you, and sometimes I say things that are absolutely wrong. Today already in this sermon, I said something so wrong. It's, it's driving me nuts. I'm hoping you didn't even notice. I'll tell you later if you come and ask me. I, I just worry about that stuff. I say things wrong. I get things wrong. And I say things that make you mad, and I hurt your feelings, and I forget your birthday, and you had your colonoscopy, and I didn't come, and, and, and I'm sorry. And I'm just so sorry. 
But you're the same way. My goodness, it's a big congregation. You'll come out one day, and it happens all the time here. You people can't drive. Almost every Sunday, it seems, somebody backs into somebody's car in the parking lot, and then you just keep on going. You just keep on going. My goodness, I, I wish you all could drive. I wish I could take you to driving school. It just gets so complicated. You've been coming for six months, sitting in the same seat, and you walk in one day and there's somebody in your seat and you're paralyzed. <laughs> My goodness, it just it throws you off. You're on the, the, the no-carb diet and you come to our potluck and I'm telling you, we are an all-carb church. Have you not noticed? It's all carbs here. And you walk in, there's nothing for you to eat. And it's just, oh, my goodness. It's wonderful. It's just wonderful because we're different. Just like a body is different. And there's no way to explain how it is that we all hang together. No way to explain it. No way to explain how we can love each other so deeply because we don't even get each other half the time. We don't even understand. I don't even understand what color your hair is supposed to be from Sunday to Sunday. I don't even get you, but I can love you. Don't you understand? It's not that we have hundreds of relationships to manage. It's not that at all. Here's the secret to unity. It's not about working so hard to keep everybody happy because we can't. It's not about working so hard to be best friends with everybody because we can't do that. We're always going to be closer to some than to others. It's just human. We're all just people. We do not have hundreds of relationships to manage in order to have unity at Woodburn Baptist Church across two campuses. It's not about that. You do not have to manage a relationship with every person. You only have one relationship to manage. Good news? Only one. You stay in fellowship with Christ. You listening? You just have to stay in fellowship with Christ. One relationship. I promise you, whenever church people go at it, somebody's out of fellowship with Christ. Whenever church people begin to have division, somebody's not focused on Christ. Whenever church people can't forgive, can't love each other, can't just keep coming back Sunday after Sunday and, and get on with the business of loving each other, somebody's not loving Christ. There's only one relationship for you to worry about. It is your relationship with Jesus. When you are in perfect unity with him, you're going to be so surprised to discover you're going to be in perfect unity with everybody else in fellowship with Christ. I love this church. I love you. We're really different from each other. I love that. I promise you, I love that. I love coming to church where everybody doesn't necessarily think the same about everything. I love that. I love that at Woodburn Baptist Church, we can disagree about stuff, and we do that really well because we got lots of opinions, and I love that. It means everybody's thinking. But guess what? We can disagree, but nobody leaves. Nobody leaves. And nobody's going to leave. Because you understand? We are united. 
We are united. That's not an illusion. We are united. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and says, I, I don't get you people. I hear some news from the folks that are worshiping at Chloe's house that you all are, are splitting up and dividing. And you're dividing over crazy things. You're, you're focusing on yourselves. You're lining up behind teachers and preachers. And, and I just got to ask you one question. Is Christ divided? That's his question. Is, is Christ divided? It's a rhetorical question, which means Paul already knows the answer. What's the answer? Is Christ divided? No, no, Christ is not divided. You can't divide the body of Christ. It's not even possible to divide the body of Christ. We're united in him. It's not even possible for us to divorce each other. It's not even possible for us to disown each other. It's not even conceivable. So the question is not, are we going to have unity? We got unity. It's in Christ. There's no way to disunify us. You understand? Our unity is in Him. If you belong to Him and I belong to Him, we're already joined together in Him. So we got unity. I guess the question is, what kind of unity are we going to have? How's our unity going to be? Christ already makes us one. God's master plan is to bring everything into oneness, everything into perfect harmony through Christ. The whole world, every creature, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, to bring everything together in Christ. And you can see that now happening in his church. It's happening right now at Woodburn Baptist Church. It's happening right down your pew. I pray it's happening in your heart. We've got a lot of people at church this morning, two campuses and an overflow God, bless us. But, but understand, he wants us to understand how we're one, how we are united. We're never going to be very well united with each other until one by one we become united to him. If honestly your heart is not at peace with God, your own heart, you cannot be at peace with other people. Your family already knows this about you. And most of the people close to you understand that there's something wrong with you, that you can't get along with people wherever you go. I want you to understand, relationship problems are always spiritual problems. Relationship problems are always spiritual problems. And if you're having relationship problems in this church, it's a spiritual problem. Somebody's not in fellowship with Christ. As pastor, as your brother, as your friend, I want to call you into perfect harmony, not with me, not with the people at this church. I want to call you to perfect harmony with Christ. Let him unite your heart to his heart. You will be amazed then to discover that all of us together will have one heart. One heart in hundreds of bodies, and it will be the heart of Jesus. I want to have the heart of Jesus. Pray with me.
Lord, you're just always bumping into each other, rubbing each other the wrong way. We don't always understand the ones who are older than us or younger than we are. Don't always understand why people say the things they do and, and forget the things they forget. Don't under, always understand how they can hurt us and drive right on, Lord. We don't understand, Lord. Don't understand how it seems to happen all the time. Except, Lord, this is the church. And while it is a piece of heaven on earth, it's just not heaven on earth yet. It's not heaven yet. God, there's so much that we're, that we're still learning, so much grace that we all still need every single day, Lord. Grace and peace and more grace and peace, Lord. We need it every day. It's the only way to stay together, Lord. It's the only way to forgive each other. It's the only way to have unity. Not by focusing on unity, Lord, but by focusing on you and the grace and the peace you give us so that we can be called your children. God, there's forgiveness that needs to happen in our fellowship. There are those of us, Lord, who have had our feelings hurt, and we need to put our feelings away for the sake of love in the church. Lord, there are those of us who get tied up in knots because we're so disappointed and disillusioned with others, Lord. Help us, Lord, to recognize that others will always disappoint us, Lord. But if we focus on you, you will never disappoint us. People will let us down. You will never let us down. If the church is in our hands, we will break it every single time. We will blow it to smithereens. But if the church is in your hands, O oh Christ... It grows, it flourishes, it unites. So God, let us this morning put our church, this church, in your hands. Let us at the same time, Lord, as individuals, put our hearts in your hands. God, we don't know exactly how to get along with everybody. So simply, Lord, help us to get along with you. To understand, Lord, that you are Lord. You are the one with authority to govern our lives. Help us, Lord, to find grace and peace in you. So then we will have grace and peace to share with everybody else. Lord Jesus, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. We pray in Jesus' name, but for the sake of this church. Amen.